Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. What is up, sports fans? Welcome to the Sports Opinions Podcast, episode numero 10. I am your host, as always, Alex Cuesta. You can find me at Twitter at AQuestaNBN. And, of course, go follow the Sports Opinions Twitter at SportOpinion30. With me today is an oh-so-special guest, um, Mr. Brandon Scoop B. Robinson. What up, Scoop? Trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. How you doing, Alex? I'm living the dream, my man. Scoop, where can the people find you? Twitter, Instagram, whatever you want to throw out there. Twitter, you can follow me at Scoop B. Instagram, Scoop underscore B. Snapchat, Scoop underscore B. And uh, make sure you subscribe to the Scoop B Radio podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher app. Or simply visit ScoopBRadio.com. My man beat me to it. Scoop is a busy, busy man. He is the editor at Respect Magazine. He That is a great online magazine. Definitely go give it a look at respectmagazine.com. And, of course, as he just mentioned, the host of Scoop B Radio. If you're a fan of hip-hop hip hop, and if you're a fan of sports, that is your place to go. No one has a better blend of both. Scoop B doing it his own way, um, making uh, combining those worlds. I think it was Drake said it the best. Athletes and uh, hip-hop rappers, synonymous. They want to be them. We want to um, be them. They want to be us. Right, Scoop? Yeah, you, you nailed it. <laughs> but I, um, basketball is Scoop's uh, forte. You would say that, right, my man? Uh, yeah, I think Stevie Wonder could see that. <laughs> so today is going to be very, very, very basketball heavy on the podcast. We're going to have a lot of fun. Now, um, my man over here, Scoop, got his start from the then New Jersey Nets when he was a wee lad. Um, you might have seen him on TV. He's changed a little since then, but still that same charismatic kid that was on then. He was on Net Slam and Planet, and that leads us right into our first topic. Um, he knows everything New York basketball, basically. So I just want to hit you with this right now, put you on the spot. 
We got Coach Kenny Atkinson for the Brooklyn Nets. We got Coach Jeff Hornacek for the New York Knicks. Who do you think is doing a better job currently? I mean, if you look statistically, uh, the Knicks are doing better at, at 23 and 29 uh, at, the t- at the time of this taping in 10th place in an NBA's Eastern Conference. Uh, you look at the Nets uh, at 19 and 33. Um, I think the Knicks kind of uh, have been able to manage a team that no one expected to do as well uh, as they're doing right now. I mean, obviously, you have the emergence of Porzingis even more since Carmelo left and, you know, Pieces like uh, Michael Beasley doing well, Jared Jack playing uh, very well at the point guard position, uh, and then you look at the Nets uh, with Atkinson. Atkinson, excuse me, yeah, Jeremy Lin's been hurt. Uh, D'Angelo Russell's been out for a significant amount of time. So, I mean, on paper, the Knicks look like they're the winner, but uh, not by much because, uh, like I said, they're twenty three and twenty nine. The Nets are twenty nineteen and thirty three. Um, so, I have to commend Hornacek for for riding the ship after last year. Um, and Atkinson, in his own way, has really gathered some young talent. Uh, right now, Hornacek has the edge, but let's see what happens uh, towards the end of the season. Asking that question, I may say Atkinson. And, you know, that goes right into my next question for you about both teams' futures, and you kind of touched on it. Um, Kenny Atkinson, to me, I think he's been able to really bring out a lot of uh, young talent. Um, you look at unknown Spencer Dinwiddie playing like a veteran. I think he's in season three or four right now. Karis LeVert really popping up, being a scorer. Rondé Hollis Jefferson becoming an all-around player. Right now, Jarrett Allen is budding and having an emergence. Um, so obviously I'm a Nets fan. I'm probably a little skewed. Who do you think has the better future? Obviously the Knicks got the superstar in Porzingis, but who do you see as the better future currently between those two teams? Uh, I, I think the Nets definitely have a better future. You you, you didn't mention Jello Local for uh, who was traded to uh, the Nets uh, in that ja. trade, <laughs> trade uh, from Philadelphia to, to Brooklyn. Um, it definitely, um, the Nets have the upside. It's funny you mentioned I was going back and forth with Rondé Hollis Jefferson this afternoon, and uh, you know he's he's hurt right now, but um, you know you see him making strides to come back. This year, he's definitely had a better season uh, in times past, and I think a lot of it has to do with just uh, Atkinson trusting him, um, him kind of shifting in between the small forward and power forward roles, um, and also uh, a guy that he practices against every day, Damari Carroll kind of pushing him. Um, I think that the Nets have the better upside because they have young talent, and the team is being built around uh, D'Angelo Russell. The time is now, and um, I think that the Nets have the better upside. I think the Knicks, uh, they're going to build around Porzingis, but um, I just think the Nets have young talent that can really grow. Uh, going to a couple games this season, I like the even flow of, of Karis LeVert, you know, shooting the lights out. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do with Jeremy Lin and his contract, but in the interim, they're definitely building around D'Angelo Russell, uh, the likes of Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Karis LeVert, and hopefully Jaleel Okafor can run in. I like Nick Stauskas, too. Nick Stauskas is nice. Nick Stauskas is that dude. He's been coming out shooting the lights out of it. But I gotta, I gotta ask you: Did you ask Rondé what's good with his fashion sense lately? He's coming out there. He got the nice looking blazer, and then he got a graphic tee showing underneath. Like, what's good with that? <laughs> I mean, he and I talk about that often. Um, his sense of style. You know, his goal is to to. I, I take it back to when he and I met. So funny story. Um, Rondé is from Chester, Pennsylvania. And if you know anything about that area, that's the greater Philadelphia area. Um, 
Chester is something in the water. Um, Jalil Beats, the producer, he's from uh, Chester, Pennsylvania. You have uh, Jameer Nelson, uh, NBA journeyman. He's from Chester. You have Tariq Evans. He's from Chester, Pennsylvania. So um, I kind of know Jalil, Jalil and and um, and and. Uh, Rondé kind of grew up together. If you guys are fans of hip-hop, uh, Jalil Beats is a mega producer. He's produced a lot for Meek Mill. So if you remember when Drake and Meek free were going Meek. back, were going back and forth. <laughs> What'd you say? I said free Meek. <laughs> yeah, free Meek all day. So you remember <laughs> how Meek and, and Drake were going back and forth? Yeah, yeah. All right. So um, that summer, Jalil had called me and he said, um, uh, I did an interview with him. I wrote a feature on him and he said, yo, Look out in the next 24 hours. He's about to come out with something. So Jalil had produced a beat of uh, for for me, and it was sampling The Undertaker's WWE beat. I think I remember that a little bit, just hearing, uh, you know, uh, just like Hot 97, just kind of putting it on like little clips when it was on, in the making, coming out. It's, it, exactly. The song's called I Just Want to Know. And what happened was, that so that was 2015. That summer, I had um, covered the, the, the NBA draft. And if you remember, uh, Rondé was drafted by Portland and his rights were traded to the Nets for uh, Mason Plumley. Yep. And so I remember I was walking the tunnel. I said, yo, I like those pants. I didn't know who Rondé was. But the <laughs> if you check out um, when in the interview, he said, um, yo, I got that inspiration from Odell Beckham. So what ended up happening was uh, I found out later who he was. So then the story gets crazy. I don't want to bore you guys, but... I actually know his best friend. His best friend went to high school right up the street where I went to undergrad, and the, and his best friend's mom was an administrator at the college that I graduated from. Oh, so small, like, small world. Wow. The world is too small. So we were all just connected from you know my time living in the, in the Philadelphia area and then him playing for the Nets, et cetera, et cetera. But that's how the conversation actually started. There's a picture on my Instagram. You see me fixing his tie. His tie was crooked at the draft. So our our connection to just sports and lifestyle and the Philadelphia area, it all came together. But it all started from me glancing at his pants. Um, it all started from just that conversation. And, you know, to be honest with you, he's participated in New York Fashion Week. Um, he, we, he and I see each other. We both have a flair for just different things. And he'll compliment me on my stuff. I'll compliment him on his stuff. There's a there's a mutual respect for fashion. And Rondé, as well as his brother, uh, Rolier, they, they both take pride um, and their fashion sense and them, you know, looking the part. And what better way to do that than in New York City? So for y'all that don't know, I said that Scoop was hip-hop and basketball. Let's add fashion to that. My dude is fashion as well. Definitely go check out Scoop's Instagram. He has his own style, rocks his own style. And um, will you uh, you work with Wooter, right, for your apparel line? Yeah, so Wooter Apparel, they're a, a New York uh, New York company. Um, they are actually a sponsor of Scoopy Radio, but they also we made some theme shirts. Wooter Apparel has a partnership with um, the G League um, as well as with Master P um, and the various products that he's doing. But you know, I, I've created a Scoopy Radio line and a Scoopy um, line through Wooter as well. So you guys can check that out. Um, you guys can check it out on my website scoopy.com uh, and go to to uh, leave a shop and you can check out the the uh, you can shop for T-shirts and hoodies and different things with different slogans. And, uh, yeah, so definitely Wooter Apparel. And uh, that that's the place to find apparel uh, related to my brand. So all y'all need to go out, check that out. Go definitely purchase something from uh, Scoop B. Support him. The man hustles, works hard, and he's great at what he does. 
So we're getting back on track after a nice little story time there from Scoop. Um, last thing about Knicks Nets touching on, uh, give me first the Knicks. What do they need to do to take that step to become playoff contenders? A lot of people thought this season they were going to fight for an eight seed. While they're still mathematically able to do it, to play on the court, definitely don't say that they're going to get there. What do they need? I mean, I think injuries is the most important thing. You know, I think you know throughout some parts of the season you've had Porzingis injured, you'd have a uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. Uh, injured. You, you, you know, you've had Frankie injured. I think consistency and, and, and being healthy um, is the key. And I also think that if not Porzingis, then who? You know, you've seen it in spurts where Beasley has been the go-to guy. You've seen it in spurts where Hardaway is the go-to guy. I like the addition of Trey Burke, especially Trey being a you know teammate of, of, of Tim Hardaway Jr.'s in, in, in Michigan. You know, there's a familiarity there. But I think finding a, a options one, two, three, and then maybe 2A and 1A. Um, just who are the go-to guys? And just forming an identity. We know that's Porzingis' team, but I think in addition to that, just who compliments Porzingis? I think that's the biggest thing. Now, I've been saying that for a while. Like, they really don't have a number, true number two. Hardaway Jr. was supposed to come in and be that guy, and the injury definitely stymied him. But I definitely can't see him being that number two 20-point-a-night guy. Maybe a third guy, maybe that... 3A like you were talking about, but they definitely need something, and it's a point guard-driven league now. Can Frank, I know he's young, but can he? you see him stepping up to be that guy, to be that dominant point guard that every team is looking for right now? I say that I think it's just going to take a while. I think, you know, oftentimes being in New York, I think that um, people have that expectation bar so high. I like Frankie, you know. I, you know, albeit I think LeBron was was critical of the Knicks not getting Dennis Smith Jr. But you know, in his own right, I think you know Dennis is doing what he's supposed to do for an aging, you know, San Antonio team. I mean, excuse me, a Dallas team is going to re- be rebuilding very soon, you know, post Dirk. But I think for the Knicks, um, Frankie is a guy that there. Are, I see flashes of of Chris Paul. I see flashes of. Uh, Tony Parker. I see flashes of just different guys. I think, you know, European guys often have a, a little bit of an adjustment period in, in, to the U.S. pro game. I think if they're patient with them, it'll work. You know, I use this example on a, on a grander scale, but look at Rajon Rondo. His, his, when the big three formed uh, in Boston, you know, Pierce, Garnett, Allen. If you remember when they won that finals uh, that year in 2008, Sam Cassell was on that team and he often spelled uh, Rajon Rondo in, in, in key points during that finals run. Um, and I think that Jared Jack similarly is that guy that you kind of bring in and he helps, you know, Frankie when, if he's injured or spells him in certain key minutes. Uh, kind of similar to the role that Jared Jack had in Golden State uh, when Steph Curry was lost hurt and Charles Jenkins was the second strand with the Hofstra with Charles Jenkins. And then, you know, Jared Jack came in and, and that kind of stymied Charles's minutes, but Jared Jack became a, a, a viable second string uh, point guard, and subsequently, you know, Charles was was shipped to the Philadelphia 76ers. But I think that uh, the point guard position and Frankie, I think the sky's the limit. Um, and I, I think um, Jared Jack remaining there is. I think I know Jared likes uh, New York City. Um, I, I just think um, Frankie just needs time to to gel and adjust to the American game, and I think he'll be all right. Absolutely. I could definitely see Frank doing some uh, nice things. He already has the defense down, which is something you can't teach hustle. And with the way the lack of defense that's played in the NBA, having a dude that's willing to really play D and really ball up on the Russell Westbrooks, James Harden's, and step up and take that challenge is something, you know, 
really big and good for the Knicks. Now, Charlotte. go ahead. No, and I was just going to add um, to kind of wrap it up and put it in a bow. Um, you look at these young teams in the Atlantic Division. You know, Boston has obviously upside adding Kyrie Irving. You look at the Philadelphia 76ers uh, with the, the emergence of the, and them finally trusting the process and producing. Um, you look at Embiid and, and Ben Simmons. Um, the only thing that Philadelphia is missing is a, is a bona fide superstar uh, swingman and a, a, say, a Paul George or a LeBron James. But then you look at the Knicks. Uh, the Knicks can also be mentioned in that conversation. They just need a kind of a star player, but you don't want to just take a bulldozer and blow it all up. You, you, you want to add pieces to it. You know, I think Courtney Lee is a complimentary piece. Um, you know, Beasley, I don't know if he'll be in the future, but you're definitely building around, you know, a, a Porzingis. And then with the Nets, I think them staying as it is. If you look at the Knicks back in 2010, pre-Carmelo Anthony, um, the thing that the, the Knicks did that was kind of, mm, in retrospect, maybe not the best is, you know, they gave away all those young pieces. You, you know, I think they need to be a little patient and just keep adding on and not listen to the, 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 the pressure of what people want. And I think if you do that, I think they'll be okay. And I think the Nets should you know, should take that same page from the book. Look at the Oklahoma City Thunder that went to the finals in 2012. You build around a Russell Westbrook, a Kevin Durant, uh, a James Harden, uh, you know, on all those pieces. They went Serge Ibaka the they had over there. Serge Ibaka was exactly. a beast. Exactly. So I, I think sometimes teams can be a little impatient. I think when you build within the draft and free agency, um, you, 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 you make a masterpiece. Now sticking with the Knicks real quick, Michael Beasley has definitely revived his career a little bit. He was kind of in... NBA limbo in New York, a lot more media. He's balling. No one can deny that Beasley's playing well. And it's Cantor playing really well. But Hornacek doesn't seem to like to play him in the fourth. He likes to put in uh, O'Quinn instead. Would you see uh, Mills taking a shot and trading either Beasley or Cantor to try and get some good value for them while they're playing well right now? And while the Knicks, you know, like you said, Beasley might not be in the future. Cantor, if he ain't going to play in the fourth quarter, that 2020 don't really matter if they need if they're in a close game. What do you think? I see Cantor staying. I think the weakest link would be Beasley, but I, I honestly think you know Beasley would stay um, just because he doesn't hurt you. Um, he's had on games, he's had off games, but when he's on, he's really on. When he's off, he's really off. Uh, I know his, his brand manager Erica very well, so I, she might get mad if I, you know, say get rid of Beasley. But I, 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 think, <laughs> I think aside from that, no, I think legitimately, I think uh, Beasley will stay. I don't think he hurts him. You know, yeah, and it's just out of the two. Don't don't get anyone mad at school. But I gave him an option of one or two. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I, I honestly think they both stay. I, I, I think that um. I think that the sexy look would be a Kimball Walker coming, but what do you offer? Obviously, I know, you know, Courtney Lee being a former Charlotte Hornet, um, he would love to probably go back to Buzz City, but, you know, Michael Jordan has been on the record saying, you know, in order for us to get rid of Kimba, they got to offer All-Star. I don't look at Kimba as an All-Star. I think of him as a, as a complimentary player, as I've often said, uh, a couple other shows, I said that, you know, I, I, I think Kimball Walker is to Charlotte what a Jamal Crawford or what a Lou Williams is to, to their respective teams. Um, but I, I think that that scenario would help. But I, I look at Kemba Walker as going to a, a San Antonio. Oh, my God. He would kill it with Kawhi and LaMarcus Aldridge. If, if they can figure out a way to not give up one of those two and put Kemba with him, my God. 
Yeah, they could use the help right about now. Um, just with Kawhi being off injured and, and, and uh, you know, they've been succeeding. But, you know, those deep playoff runs, you need a guy like a Sprewell back in his heyday with the Knicks that could come off the bench and score in bunches. Yup. Can we offer that, that service? Absolutely. And I think you touched on there with the Nets while you were talking a little about the Knicks. Um, you're saying that they basically need to stay the course in order to make this playoff run. Obviously, um, deloading D'Angelo Russell has been hurt a good amount this year. Jeremy Lin lost again for a full season. Um, and they are progressing. They're playing in a lot more tight games. I try and watch every single Nets game because I'm a fanatic. They're playing in a lot more tight games. Very few blowouts this year. They just actually played a tight one tonight. It's February 2nd. They just, Brooke Lopez has returned to Barclays. He had a hell of a game. They just ended up losing to the Lakers tonight. But it was a really tight game down to the last shot. Um, do you think the Nets need to stay the course? Should they be active at trade deadline? Or do you think they're doing enough to attract some free agents this year? Um, I definitely think they're doing well enough to check, attract free agents. Again, I think the expectation for both the Nets and the Knicks have been very low. And I think that um, they the, the, the Knicks have done well. The Nets have done well considering uh, how people uh, may have – expected them to be in the first half of the season. Um, I think if you look at the NBA standings, I, I think pretty much the only team that has surprised some has been the Indiana Pacers uh, and the play of, of Victor Oladipo um, has been phenomenal, you know, post from OKC. But as it relates to the Nets, um, I think that the Nets, if they didn't make a trade at the deadline, um, I wouldn't be surprised. I think that um, the Nets, honestly, could grow, I think, just together. I really think that at the trading deadline, um, it, it, they're, they're saying, they told the New York, it was said by the New York Post today that you know they wouldn't rule out anything, but I know Joe Harris and Damari Carroll um, could be guys that could be attractive uh, attractive guys you know, at the trading deadline. Uh, Joe Harris can shoot at a premium, um, and Damari Carroll is a veteran guy that could help a team. Um, you know, And I think the thing with Damari Carroll, uh, he can draw interest from teams um, because of their contract situation. Um, uh, Joe Harris is a bargain at a $1.5 million in his expiring deal, um, and he's a free agent. So I think, you know, Marks will definitely be busy at the trading deadline, um, you know, and obviously um, I think that the Nets uh, are going to have to really think about whether they're going to keep um, – Spencer Dunwoody this offseason, so you got to make room for yeah. him. Yeah. You know? So I, I think um, the biggest thing for the Nets is just being patient but not just giving up uh, the kitchen sink. Um, and, I, and I think that's it. I think that Joe Harris is a, is a, is a uh, attractive uh, contract, and so was uh, Damari Carroll. Uh, I thought Damari Carroll would be playing a little bit more uh, this season, but not so much uh, was the case. But, you know, a guy that has had playoff experience with the Atlanta Hawks, um, he's a guy that will definitely uh, become a, a, a training piece at, at deadline. And as we touch on the Nets, the Nets are, you know, this year they're a very gritty, pure grit team. And a guy, you mentioned Spencer Dinwiddie, he's a guy that's been playing with a chip on his shoulder all year. He's been, you know, very chatty. But the physicality. Don't add him. Don't, yeah, don't add him. <laughs> Did you see him put up today? I will always, at NBA. I will yes, never forget. <laughs> cracking up. He is. He has some type of personality, but you know the league overall this year seems to be getting a lot more physical. We're seeing a lot more guys actually knuckle up. 
you know, none of just that little pushing and shoving, a lot more fists being thrown. You had, uh, you know, the Rockets playing Paper Gangster, you know, coming through the little secret hiding space in uh, L.A. But, you know, just the amp up in aggression this year is definitely noticeable. Do you think, like, you know, that they've been criticized, this league has been criticized for getting softer and softer. Do you think these guys are kind of hearing that and going, hell no, we're not soft. We're going to, you know, we grew up idolizing Charles Oakley, uh, all these dudes that were just physical as all hell. Do you think that they're they're kind of answering back with some fans, or is it just an anomaly this year? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I talked to a, um, a retired NBA player. Uh, last Friday, and he said to me, "Scoop," he said, "These players don't want it with us." And, and this particular player um, played with Oak, played with uh, the Anthony Masons, played with the, you know the the Tyson Chandlers. These are vets. He's a well-respected vet, and he said to me, um, "You know, those guys could never replicate that '90s, 2000s era, uh, mainly because a lot of these guys." His theory is they're not from the hood, you know. They're not they're not fighting for nothing. How could you, you know, have tuna tartare before games and then want to rep your hood? It doesn't make sense. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's just a different era. Um, Chris Paul, uh, I can tell you straight up, just from people I talk to, my interaction with, with him, he's not about that life. Um, and and out of all those guys with the Rockets that were about that life, the, the player who had that conversation with me told me um, that that was his rookie uh, when he played in the league. I'm kind of giving him away. I'm giving y'all context clues. A little bit. <laughs> Basically, he said that out of all those guys that were going at it, um, Trevor Reese is the only one who's about that life. So, you know, Trevor Reese played for the Knicks uh, his rookie year. You can be a context clue, but I won't put the guy out there. But uh, I think that the NBA is, is definitely a, 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 a golf collar shirt game, and I don't think you want to mess up that rep for them because nobody wants to give up any substantial amount of money. And, uh, no, they're not about that life. Last time I uh, was a little scared uh, – with the NBA and their rep was obviously the the, the, the brawl at the Palace, and the NBA has, 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 has run a clean ship ever since. You know, in the Malice at the Palace, that was that was I watched. I was actually watching that game live, and it was one of the most ridiculous things I have ever seen live. And you know, there's you know, it's a different era. Like you know, I like to talk to people, and there's certain people I'd say, nah, this this era is the best generation of basketball. It's pure basketball, and yeah, the passing, you know, is probably better they're shooting a lot more open shots but man Steph Curry driving through a lane try doing that in 1998 in Madison Square Garden getting a clean look at what his little bunny layups that he does LJ Oak they would have just thrown him and he would have not come in the paint anymore that game it's a different era man it's a different era Uh, I miss it do you think it's good for the game what's going on right now do you think that you, it's a better brand of basketball that we're seeing right now? I think it's a faster game of basketball, and I think it's less um, it's less bruising. It's more, you know, finesse. Um, I think even – and I kind of blame it on AAU basketball because, you know, all of those centers want to be small forwards. And, 
you know, all those point guards want to be shooting guards. I think it's just, you know, a like particularly New York City basketball, if you look at rosters, a lot of rosters say back then, like in the 90s and 2000s, wing forward, you know, front court, back court. And, you know, that that's reflected in the NBA All-Star game. You know, you don't, you don't have guys that are pure power forwards. You got an All-Star game where LeBron could play the power forward position. You got Kyrie as his teammate, his former teammate, now his teammate in the All-Star game. You got Steph Curry. Or excuse me, you have Kevin Durant, who's also a small forward on this team. You, you know, you have all those guys that can play multiple positions. I think it's a, a finesse game, uh, and, and, and some may argue a, pos- a positionless basketball um, association. You know, even with, with it being a point guard driven league, league, you got Steph Curry, who's legitimately um, Reggie Miller with um, Allen Iverson dribble. Oh, he's, his his handles are just stupid. They're just there's is him and Kyrie, and then there's everyone else. Sure, I still think Kyrie's better than Steph Curry, though. Oh, no one can stop Uncle Drew. Uncle Drew's that dude. Mm -hmm. But you know, and you were touching on. um, Oh man, I lost my train of thought. We're just gonna keep rolling. (laughs) But um, so we're looking at that. I'm touching on the violence, and that puts the referees in a much tougher position. And it seems to be you had, you know, a lot of guys clapping at the refs harder than we've seen. We've seen guys kind of, you know, draw at the refs, give them a little bit. But it's gotten to the point where you're seeing a lot more technicals for these players. LeBron James got one, you know. So is there a lot more disrespect for the refs, the refs disrespecting the players back, vice versa? What do you think the dichotomy is that it just seems to be much more disrespect in the game from ref to player? I think a lot of it has to do with um, just the generation that we're in. I think the, the age group uh, that's playing in the NBA now is 90s kids. And a lot of 90s kids, uh, millennials, want to get an explanation for everything. Um, I'm a tweener because, you know, I, I'm, I'm some consider me millennials. Some people consider me Generation X. But I know that my mother used to say to me, I'm not doing all that talking. You do what I say or, or, or pay the consequences. I think but that, that level of just... Uh, being entitled and or feeling as though somebody who's an authority has to explain something to you is, is prevalent. Um, but I also do think that there's just a mandate where, you know, a lot of these refs are told by the league that, you know, just call the calls and, 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 you know, if they don't comply, you know, throw them out. And I think that uh, the middle ground will have to be, you know, assessed when, Players and refs meet during a All Star Weekend in LA, but I, I think the big the, the big issue is like how can you find a happy meeting? Because you know the last thing you want is a situation where you know a couple years ago when Steph Curry threw his mouthpiece, he's throwing the mouthpiece, being angry in the finals, and then you know a ref you know throws him out, and you know something crazy happens, and then the best player, considered one of the best players in the league, and Steph Curry, he's suspended, kind of like how Draymond was suspended, you know, a couple years ago. So it's like you got to kind of find a happy medium. But I also think that the Warriors, who are the best team in the NBA, they talk a lot of smack, but they also back it up, but they also talk smack to the ref. It's like if you're the best team and you have the best players, they can't be doing that, but they can't be stopped. They're like a behemoth, and they can't be stopped. So it's like, what do you do? You know, LeBron got tossed not too long ago for arguing with the ref. So it's like if the top players are doing that, there's a there's a, a, a residual effect. The other players think that they can do it too. And then when it goes with the refs, then, you know, then 
other players start going into each other, like you saw with Ben Simmons and Kyle Lowry. I also think Kyle Lowry was showing off because they were in Philadelphia. He's from Philly. And, uh, you know, he had something to prove that day. Or Martin Luther King of day of all days. But, um, you know, it, it's just it's interesting to watch. I think players are just that competitive. And it's going to be interesting to see what the players and the refs uh, decide when they meet during All-Star Weekend in L.A. Absolutely, absolutely. And a while back, um, Spencer Dinwiddie for the Nets, he was uh, he was complaining about the refs a little bit. And, um, you know, he mentioned, you know, the, I brought this up because he mentioned the lack of respect and that the ref literally, he's a grown man. He's been in the league for a few years now. He's really balling this year. Literally turned around when he was trying to ask him about a call and shushed him. Now, you know, that's just – I think that's something that needs to be addressed. I don't know if Spencer's concerns are going to need to be addressed. He plays in Brooklyn. He's still kind of a nobody even though he's balling and we know him here. You know, you talk about Spence in te- Texas. They're like, who's that? You know, so it's it's kind of – do you think that the refs also need to be checked a little when it comes to these smaller market teams and these other players where they can't just only – uh, you know, talk to the superstars and, you know, take it. Because the team that was notorious for chatting with the refs, they're disbanded now. But the L.A. Clippers, the Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, those teams, they were notoriously known for chirping at the refs constantly. And they seemed to get calls later in the games because the refs were just done hearing them. They, you know, they didn't tee them up because they weren't going to do that to CP3. He's been an ambassador of the league. People like him. But, you know, it's, it seems like it goes a few different ways with the refs. And the superstars, like you said, it's a trickle down. The superstars do it. It makes it look like it's okay. And then the other guys do it and they're getting shushed. So, you know, like you said, I think it's a happy medium. What else, what else could be done? I don't even know. <laughs> no, I, I think you nailed it right on the head. You know, the rapper Mano made a song some years ago called All the Above. I think it's All the Above. Uh, I think players kind of have to be have a happy medium with the refs. I don't even think it's something that we can even fathom uh, will be discussed. I think it's really just a conversation, a heart-to-heart uh, between uh, players and, and refs. And, uh, you know, I think that it's going to be a, a rowdy bunch again come playoff time. I think that's when people really get competitive. But I think um, the second half of the season, I think it may actually be the refs coming down um, and the players kind of just playing. And, you know, one thing, you know, I played sports my whole life. I played team sports. I was never a big basketball guy, but I played football, played soccer, did those things. And, you know, one thing that my coaches always preached and, you know, as a, when I became a coach, I preached is don't kill the refs because we're going to need them at some point. We, we're not seeing this dude once or twice. We're going to see him. If you're playing high school ball, you're going to see that same ref for, you know, three, four times a year throughout each of those you know, each of those four years that you're there. So, you know, I just always been under that mentality of don't burn the refs. You know, you could talk to them. Like even as a high school player, if I was getting held or something was happening, I would go up, talk to the ref and be like, Hey, sir, you know, this is happening. Can you keep an eye out for it? You know, and there's obviously everyone gets on the refs in times of emotion, but I just, you know, I can't understand how they're getting on these refs constantly. And maybe the refs have a point with being annoyed with everyone because they're always getting ripped on. Yeah, I think you have a point. I think you have a point, man. It'll be interesting to see what they do uh, moving forward. And uh, until then, stay tuned. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of great players, and let's cut out the refs, but let's talk about these great players. MVP right now in the league, who is your favorite? (sighs) Um, If you had asked me earlier in the season, I would have said... 
LeBron. Um, I think LeBron still has a chance, uh, depending on how they write this ship. I think he has the, the opportunity to be MVP um, every year. Uh, definitely not Russell Westbrook. I, I think James Harden um, has been you know, a juggernaut for his team. Uh, so it will be a toss-up between those two guys, James Harden and LeBron James. Kyrie is surely always in the conversation, um, but I, I think when it comes down to voting, I think um, LeBron and James Harden are, are the two uh, guys that stand out the most. So you're going to leave Kevin Durant out of it completely right now? He's not even in that picture? He's in it, but I think he still plays with Steph Curry, and um, I think he earned the respect of the NBA um, and its fans uh, by, you know, being the MVP of the um, NBA All Star, or excuse me, of the NBA Finals. Um, he's in the conversation, but I still think. Um, LeBron or Harden are a sexier pick? So for me, if we're going to put it down to LeBron or Harden, I have a theory that LeBron has been the MVP since his basically rookie year and that they just get tired of giving it to him. <laughs> I think last year was maybe one of the only legitimate years where Russell and Harden actually kind of outplayed him and still then no because no one does more for their team than LeBron James. LeBron can go to any 29 other teams and they're in the finals. So it, it's it's pretty crazy. Harden, for me, you know, when CP3 went down and you saw the cliff that the Rockets went down on, their defense was not the same. They didn't score at the same clip. Harden seemed to be pressing a lot without CP3 on the floor. That, to me, hurt his chances as the MVP because that just shows the value of – obviously, CP3 is a valuable dude. But it just showed how reliant that the Rockets have already gotten on Chris Paul. So if you're going to put it to me between LeBron and Harden, I think LeBron runs away with it. I would say that I agree with you too. I think, but I think uh, Chris Paul is an additive to an already great tasting soup. He's like the accent or the pepper or the oregano that was already brewing in a homemade uh, a cup of, of uh, chicken noodle soup with the soda on the side. Hey, chicken noodle soup. <laughs> so just I want to touch on, you know, big trade that just happened. Blake Griffin is now a Detroit Piston. He had a fantastic opening game with them. I think he dropped something like 20 with like 12 rebounds. Like, And they ended up winning against Memphis. He was a strong catalyst. He's playing with uh, Andre Drummond now, two versatile bigs. Uh, Blake's obviously he has more range than Drummond, but Drummond, they're both rebound machines tough dudes we saw Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins kind of struggle to find their rhythm together with the Pelicans Boogie obviously hurt now but can two bigs work like that do Blake and Andre complement each other enough that they can put the Pistons in the playoff picture yeah well um as far as the Pistons uh playoff hopes I still do think they'll remain to be on the outside looking in um, at the end of the season. Um, I think that they blew an opportunity earlier in the season uh, where they were, you know, a second or a third seed. They were sitting I, fourth at one point, I think. Yeah, second, third, fourth, and they were just balling. Yeah. I think um, I like Blake Griffin on that team, but I, I also think that Blake Griffin is going to have to establish himself in the next phase of his career um, because I was having this conversation with somebody um, yesterday. When I look at Blake Griffin, he's always been a one-dimensional guy. Um, you know, can dunk, can do more, but he has expanded his range. 
Um, his dribble is, is, is above ordinary, but you know, I've always been wondering or, or kind of just always been perplexed by high flyers and how they're able to expand their career, particularly high flying power forwards who, um, you know, when they hit their thirties, what they're able to do. Perfect example of that is Antonio McDice, who was also a former Detroit Pistons, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he was at um, one point. Yep. You know, Blake Griffin, to me, excellent dunker, excellent team player when he was in L.A. and played well with with um, DeAndre Jordan and with Chris Paul. But in this next phase in his life in Detroit, I'm wondering if, if that's going to continue. You know, he's a great passer out of the double team. As I said before, he can hit an easy 16 to 17 to 18 footer, no problem. But I'm looking at the longevity of his career with Detroit. One good thing about the move to Detroit, though, is most guys who were considered big men playing in a Stan Van Gundy system, they revitalized themselves a lot because they're a Especially a guy like Blake Griffin, who could pass out the double team. You look at a big guy like Dwight Howard. He flourished in the Stan Van Gundy system, usually playing a four-guard lineup. He also benefited from a guy like Ryan Anderson, who could push that you know that power forward center position out further and make you guard him from the outside. I have him on my fantasy basketball team now, and he's been helping me a lot from three. Um, but a Stan Van Gundy system definitely will benefit Blake because he commands a double team. He can pass to open guards. Um, but I'm going to tell you something. In the long run, I like the chances of Tobias Harris with the Clippers. Oh, Tobias Harris's ceiling is ridiculous. The dude can score at a high clip. He has an insane motor. I don't think he – if the coaches, they don't have to take him out a single minute. He could play 48 minutes for 82 games and never stop. The guy just doesn't stop. He has the motor of like a Gerald Wallace with the scoring ability of Michael Beasley. When, you know, when he's on, he takes over games. And it goes into his training. Um, a, a buddy of mine, uh, Jay Hernandez, who's an assistant coach with the Orlando Magic, um, he's been working with Tobias, I want to say, since either his um, senior year of high school from in uh, Long Island or um, you know after he finished college. Um, I was talking to Jay. I was at a Philly-Orlando uh, game back in November, and he was saying, man, Tobias' ceiling is just so high, like what you just said. Um, you know, and I, I think over, you know, I think that move to Detroit uh, when he was traded was great. Um, but you really started to see his emergence in Orlando. Jay actually ended up being an assistant coach in Orlando and worked with him even more um, during his days with the Magic. But, you know, I, I just, it, everybody's co-sign for Tobias is right. You know, and people were saying, you know, throughout the season, Tobias Harris deserved to be an all-star, you know, until he got hurt and all those other things. But, I like his game. It'll be interesting to see how he fits in the nucleus of, of uh, Doc Rivers, but he has a chance because Danilo Gallinari is often hurt. Absolutely. And, you know, and you actually – Tobias Harris is the perfect mold, and it brings back to – I remember the point I was going to make before when you were talking about AAU and how it's positionless basketball, and that's really the thing. I'm looking at it as, is this the LeBron effect? Is this the LeBron legacy where he's a 6'8 guy that can play 1 through 5 and be top 5 at any of those positions? And you see Kawhi Leonard, long, big, taller, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kevin Durant, Tobias Harris, Brandon Ingram on the Lakers, Jason Tatum on the Celtics, these long, lanky dudes that you know they're going to fill out because a lot of them are still boys that I just mentioned. They ain't men yet. They're going to fill out. They're going to, you know, is this the LeBron effect where that 6'10 kid says, if I could develop a three and get my handles down, I don't have to be pushed into the center position 
always. You know, I, is that where we're getting that right now? I think it goes even before then. I think um, we're in the second wave of the AAU culture. Um, and I think the first wave of it actually starts with guys like Al Harrington, guys like Jonathan Bender, Jermaine O'Neal, mm-hmm. Tracy McGrady, Vince Carter, um, Tim Thomas, um, Ruben Patterson, Darius Miles, Lenny Cook, that era of basketball, and it's trickled down to now. Um, and I think, you know, you look at a guy like Jonathan Bender, guy pick out of Picayune High School in Louisiana. The guy was supposed to be like that dude. Literally was on that Pacers team with Al Harrington, Reggie Miller, Travis Best, Mark Jackson, that was coached by Isaiah Thomas. Absolutely. He was next. Like, he literally yes. was next. He was the heir apparent to take over when Reggie was like, all right, cool, bye. Yeah, and then, you know, just his growth. He was growing so much, and his knees gave out. Um, and, and, and so, that, you know, that, that – oh, and then guy rest the dead, uh, uh, Eddie Griffin. That guy was versatile, too. Absolutely. Um, so I, I think that it's not necessarily the LeBron effect. I think the I think that that early those early nineties where there were guys that you could just which is ball handling. Even Kevin Garnett. I remember when Kevin Garnett played for the Timberwolves, and I believe uh, if I'm not mistaken, Chauncey Billups was out, and he was the point guard for that team for for a period. So well, I even, and brought the ball up and, and managed the, the you know handled the ball and uh, and started the offense. Even a young Chris Bosh in Toronto. He would yeah. he would take the ball. He would easily if a, if you know a quick basket happened, they'd get the ball to him at quarter court. He'd take it right up, post up, and then you know, yeah, you you know you got a point that the point forward was started in the early two thousands, late nineties, really. Well, earlier than that, because Scottie Pippen was the Bulls ball handler often in, in Chicago in that triangle offense. You know, that triangle offense was predicated upon upon big guards. You look at Ron Harper who. Johnson's unfair. That dude, my God, like you, you, anyone, you want to compare LeBron to anyone? We got to stop the Michael LeBron comparisons. It's LeBron magic because they play such a similar style of ball. Like I was, I honestly wasn't alive for Magic, but just watching his highlights, you know, we always talk about the physical specimen, and we've never seen anything like it. Hold up, go watch Magic. Magic did it all. The guy had amazing court vision, scored from anywhere. And who the hell's guarding him at 6'10"? No one. <laughs> yeah, and I think even a guy like Penny Hardaway, you know, he, he was a 6'8 uh, point guard. I think he was ahead of his time. And he also had one of the, the some of the coolest commercials of all time. Uh-huh. Air Pe- the Air Pennies were just, the, all those commercials and all that was just unbelievable. And you know, I'm going to tell you something for the sneaker guys that are out there. You know, Penny was one of the first guys to rock foams, Nike foams. Do you know that his Nike foams were actually originally designed for Scottie Pippen and Scottie didn't like them? So you hear that, everyone? Listen, all you young kids out there, y'all love the Bulls or whatever. That's great. But respect Penny. Penny rock foams. (laughs) 
Yep. Absolutely. And I'm very happy that you mentioned the Bulls because we're going to have a little fun now because I just love getting the Scoop B knowledge when it comes to anything basketball. I'm going to put it to you. A lot of young kids right now, you know, they see the Warriors. They weren't – a lot of them, the kids watching now, weren't alive for the great Lakers three-peat teams. You know, they look at the Warriors and they're saying, Warriors, best of all time, period. This team is the best ever. I, I'm going to give you a group of teams and you can kind of sort them out. And even if you want to add anyone, you can. We're going to go between the the current Warriors right now, the Jordan Pippen Bulls, Showtime Lakers, uh, Russell Celtics, Kobe Shaq Lakers. Who's the best? If you want to sort out those five, where would you put them? And like I said, add anyone else you want. Well, I wasn't alive for Russell Celtics, um, so I wouldn't be the best uh, person to ask that. I can only go by what I've read, what I've interviewed and asked you know, people later on. <laughs> Did you see that picture of Bill Russell sticking up his middle finger? No, when was that? <laughs> <laughs> I saw it on Instagram. It was Chelsea Bill. <laughs> There's a picture of Bill Russell sticking up his middle finger. I was cracking up. But, um, <laughs> no, I, I think um, it's funny. I was um, in a cab earlier today, and um, I was talking to the cab driver. We were talking about the Super Bowl, and he's a Giants fan. And he said to me, um, who do you want to win? And I told him, and he said to me, he's a Giants fan. He said he wants, to break, he wants the, the, the Patriots to win. I said, why? He said, well, even though I'm a Giants fan, he said, we're in we're in a part of our lives now. He's thirty eight. He said we're in a part of our lives where you know we're able to tell our kids later in life, I was alive for this, I was alive for that. He said I wasn't alive for you know Fran Tarkenton. I wasn't alive alive for you know Jim Brown. I wasn't alive for this person and that person. He said so. I want Brady to win so he has one more championship in, in the dynasty, maybe an end to that run, and I can tell all my kids and more about it. Um, I think that's interesting. Um, and, and also, and that, he can brag that his Giants were the only teams to stop Brady. Twice. Everyone else they faced, they beat, but the yep. Giants. Yeah, yeah. And to, to and to that cab driver, he said to me, he said, and plus, I don't want to go for the Eagles because they're in the Giants division. Fair assessment. Uh, but I, I think that to that point about the, the NBA, you know, I was around for Jordan's Bulls. I, I, I was born in enough time to at least see Magic play, and then see him as a as a business owner. So I, you know, I'm 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 old enough to have seen some Magic games. Um, I watched. I remember Magic and Vladdy Divac playing against the Bulls in '91, um, and I remember all of Kobe and Shaq's runs with the Lakers. So you know, looking at Jordan and the Bulls, I remember all six championships. I remember the transition from Harvest Grant to Dennis Rodman. Um, I, I put them high up there. Um, the Showtime Lakers, to me, uh, I, I, I give credit where credit is due, but um, I look at Kobe and Shaq as as, as number two. Wow. Uh, I, I look at, uh, you know, uh, so I got Co- Jordan and the Bulls one. I have the Showtime Lakers three. I have Kobe and Shaq two. Um, I have Russell and the Celtics five, uh, at, at the bottom of my list, but um, – I think when you look at the current Warriors, I think their story is still being written. I think that's the interesting thing. You're looking at a LeBron dynasty versus a Warriors dynasty because you have obviously LeBron playing for two different teams. Um, but I think that uh, the Warriors' story is still being written, and even though they went 73-10, and they still didn't win a championship that year. Um, 
and the Bulls won a, a championship in that seventy-two and ten season. Um, so you know, I, I think the Bulls and Jordan are still up there. But I often think that the Jordan and Bulls era is often treated as if it's perfect because Michael never lost to the finals. And I think that LeBron, who was the modern-day Michael Jordan for many, um, he did it his way, so it was different. And he did it in an in a, in a era where freelancing and being a, a focal point of a team um, has become a thing, just like Tom Brady was able to play quarterback for the, for the, for the, Buff, excuse me, for the New England Patriots even back in 2004. And an 18-year veteran, he's still the focal point of a Patriots offense. So I, I think, to go to your point or your question, I think Jordan Bulls is one. I think that Kobe Shaq's Lakers is two. I think that the Showtime Lakers is three. Russell Celtics is four. Um, and the Warriors is five because I think they're still, their story is still being written. I like it. I like it. So all you young kids out there listen to a dude that's lived and eaten, sleep, and breathed ball. Warriors can get there, but they ain't there yet. Got to put it on you real quick. What jersey is LeBron James in next season? Um, it ain't a Warriors jersey. I, I think it was a slow news day for Chris Haynes, who a guy I know and I respect. <laughs> um, I think it's going to be a cross between um a possible return to Miami, um, or a Lakers jersey. You don't think it's Cavs? Uh, no. I think that I think that the story that has been going on about Dan Gilbert selling the team are true. And I think that after a while, the, a LeBron James team, I'm going to compare it to a woman. You know a woman, the, the, a lady that looks good in her teens and her 20s, and then when she gets 30, she looks like 50? Yup. By the time a LeBron James team, he's through with them, they look 50. Look at Chris Bosh at the two, when LeBron left. Kevin Love is becoming that. I feel bad for Kevin Love. The guy was having as good of a season as he's had in since he's got traded, and it went unnoticed. And for Isaiah Thomas to be there for a whole total three minutes, miss a total of 53 shots while making two in his return or whatever it was, to stand up in a meeting and get on a guy that won a chip with the team, I thought that was a little ridiculous. I just think he's very competitive. I don't make excuses for it, but I, I think, you know, I think uh, there's a reason why Chauncey Billups did not take that GM position, and I think there's a reason why Kyrie Irving wanted out, and you're seeing it play before your eyes. You know, Dan Gilbert, who has got no guarantees from LeBron whether he's returning, um, I legitimately think, um, like, I, I think that the LeBron James era in Cleveland, look, he promised them a championship. He got it. Um, he owes Northeast Ohio nothing else. He did it. And there's your Kobe and Michael comparison with LeBron. Kobe and Michael are notorious, notorious for wearing dudes out, putting way too much pressure on them to work as hard as them, to always eat, sleep, and breathe, winning championships. And we're starting to see LeBron, you know, we're starting to hear stories about finally him being the same way where, you know, yeah, he goes to bat for his dudes. He got Tristan paid, and Tristan kind of took a back seat. But at the same time, we're seeing LeBron with that killer instinct that Kobe was known for, Michael was known for. Yeah, he might not close out games and take every final shot, but there's no doubt that he's in practice just riding dudes. And it makes me think that like these guys that want out now, what the hell would they have done on Kobe's team? What the hell would they have done on Michael's team, on Isaiah Thomas? Like, 
Dwight Howard was on a team with Kobe, and, and Dwight couldn't, personality-wise, couldn't handle that uh, Kobe Bryant uh, characteristic. But when you look at, you know, you talk about Tristan Thompson, of course my, LeBron's going to ride out for Tristan. They're both represented by Rich Paul and Clutch, the Clutch Agency. But, you know, it's funny you talk about the whole Michael thing. I had Horace Grant on our Scoopy Radio, and I asked him what Michael was like uh, in practice, and he said Michael was the devil. In practice, you know, and you've, you've heard of, you know, this fight that Michael got in with, I believe, with Steve Kerr, and, you know, I think it was Paxson as well, but, you know, Michael was the ultimate competitor. And LeBron, I think, in order to uh, cement his legacy, he's got to be a little, uh, little crazy. Um, and, and, you know, I think Scotty knew how to defer to Michael in a way that. Kyrie Irving was not going to do because it was Kyrie Irving's team after LeBron left. And, you know, here comes LeBron back reclaiming his team. Dwayne Wade was kind of accommodating in that way um, in Miami in year two. Um, and I actually think that that has preserved Wade's career even more because Wade's knees were, were just very faulty. And you're seeing that kind of play out now at this point in 2018. And, uh, you know, I think that a LeBron team has to have healthy legs. Lonzo Ball, Julius Randle, uh, Brandon Ingram, and guys of that nature uh, would definitely complement a LeBron James. And also, he wouldn't necessarily have to do as much. Uh, but I think what's interesting about LeBron, I think this next deal he signs, I think it's going to be a short-term deal. And I think he's going to retire a lot more early than people think because he's got kids and he's, that are, are, are nearing on one kid, LeBron James Jr., who's getting ready to enter high school, um, and he wants to be there for his career. Um, and, then, you know, he has two other kids. I, I, I see LeBron as a family man, you know, having a sense of ownership with a team, and he's putting himself in that position. I, I don't sleep on the notion that LeBron will own the Cleveland Cavaliers one day, uh, particularly a guy from Northeast Ohio, you know, a guy that was drafted by Gordon Gunn, a guy, a guy that's blind. You know, LeBron grew up watching the Cavaliers era teams that, you know, had Zadrunas Silgowskis, Brevin Knight, Cedric Henderson, uh, Derek Anderson, and was coached by Mike Fratello. Sean Kent playing on that team, too. Bizarre. So I think, Mike Fratello, yeah. bizarre, that dude. Mm-hmm. So I think he's looking at the bigger picture, and you know he owes Northeast Ohio nothing. But I also think he's trying to get that last run. LeBron, if you're listening, please listen. Number one, I really appreciate that. Number two, Brooklyn would love you. Come to Brooklyn. We got young ballers. I don't see it, but you know what? I will say that a team in the Northeast that would benefit from him, and it's realistic, um, is Philadelphia. Uh, a, a guy that a team that has a Ben Simmons, a team that has Joel Embiid, a JJ Redick. Any NBA, any NBA team that LeBron plays on is predicated upon the strong shooter. You know, Damon Jones, uh, Mike Miller, uh, Danielle Marshall. They've all benefited from playing under or with LeBron James. I don't sleep on the notion that Philadelphia would be a viable option. It's not quite New York, but it is Northeast, um, and fans are passionate. Philadelphia is a, is a realistic team that could, you know, seriously offer LeBron money and uh, give him, make him feel home. Shout out. not that far from, from Cleveland. Shout out to my boy Kyle Burns and my boy John Natoli, both big Philadelphia 76ers fans. You probably got them giddy when they listen to this about you even commenting on that. And I'm just thinking Ben Simmons is a very similar mold to the way LeBron James, big ball handler, you know, loves dishing the rock, struggling to shoot a J. What that dude could learn from playing with LeBron in his twilight 
would set the 76ers up with a dominating superstar for the next 15 years. I don't disagree. It would be insane. Now, switching a little bit of gears, we're going to take away from basketball real quick. You touched on the Super Bowl. You talked about Brady. You talked about that. Who you got for this Sunday? Philadelphia, 44-35. Wow. You going with the underdog. So Foles completes the most improbable, in my eyes, if he does it, the greatest quarterback run in playoff history. Tom Brady was once a backup. Yes, he was. And my Jets created Tom Brady by knocking out Drew Blitzow. <laughs> there you go. Oh, man. That would that would be something something else. And I was thinking about it, too, and I was listening to uh, WFAN, uh, Boomer and Geo, in the morning because that's part of my routine when I'm going to work. Sure. And they were talking about how, you know, the teams like Patriots, you would think that they'd have these blowout victories with how great they've been under Belichick and Brady in the Super Bowl. And they don't. Their field goals, they're very – I think their margin of victory is like 2.7 points. It's not a lot. And the Giants were the ones that beat them twice by getting a Brady, picking them off, keeping the pedal on the metal. And it just makes me think almost every time the Pats have won, they weren't on paper the better team. Just like this right now, the Eagles are a better football team than the Patriots. It comes down to those insane halftime adjustments that Bill Belichick, Tom Brady are able to do. Do you you're gonna you think that Doug Peterson's gonna be able to outwit Belichick in the second half? Because the first half don't matter as much, which we saw against Jacksonville. Yeah, I don't think the first half matters. You didn't just see it in, against the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, you also saw it in the Super Bowl against the Atlanta Falcons last year. Um, I think that with a, uh, a Philadelphia Eagles team, I had uh, Eagles safety Rodney McLeod on Scoopy Radio this week. And Rodney said that the key for the Eagles uh, winning uh, the Super Bowl would obviously be who manages, penalty, who manages the clock well, who finds – uh, weaknesses in, the, in each team's quarterback early, um, and who exploits those. You know, Rodney said that you know they're both two good teams. He likes the odds of the Philadelphia Eagles um, being the underdog because they've been under the underdog most of the season, the thirteen and three team um, that has um, exceeded all expectations. You you came in and your quarterback uh, Carson Wentz was hurt, and you still made it to the Super Bowl. I think it was even a little things like in the offs, or rather at, during the season, getting J.J. from the Miami Dolphins and, and implementing him in the offense right away. Um, I, I think Doug Peterson has done a heck of a job uh, two years after Chip Kelly was fired and, and kind of recreating uh, this Philadelphia team that had marquee receivers and uh, and, and Jeremy Macklin uh, as well as... Um, Deshaun uh, Jackson. What you say? Deshaun Jackson, yeah. Deshaun Jackson, and I think you know for the for the New England Patriots, you know their their receiving core is also deadly. I mean, the the, the, the obviously Brady's the key that starts the engine, but Gronkowski has been playing his tail off, you know, despite concussion in the AFC Championship game, and Danny Amendola has been Mister Reliable for that team, and you know it, it's just going to be a clash of the titans um, for this team. Uh, even my my guy Landon Roberts uh, doing his thing uh, for them on the defensive end, but. I think it's, it's the two best teams in the NFL this season that have been playing consistent and who have made adjustments throughout the season to make their roster better. It was like they were preparing their roster to play each other in the Super Bowl, and, and, and that's what we have. And, you know, it's funny. I was in Philly a couple of days ago, um, 
take care of some business. And I passed by a, a uh, Boston market, and they actually crossed out Boston on <laughs> on there put Philly market. The the fit, listen, I think um, uh, Gio said it today on the show. I don't know if the city of Philly can handle a Super Bowl victory. There might not be a Philadelphia, but the way that they went through that town after the NFC Championship, the National Guard needs to be called the Philly win or loss. It's going to be wild. Oh, for sure. I, I um, lived in that area for five years. Uh, went to college out that way. Uh, and, and, you know, obviously was there when they went to the Super Bowl in 2004 with Donovan McNabb and Terrell Owens. And uh, the loyalty that Philadelphia has for their, their fans is, is unmatched. And, uh, you, you know, you want to pull for an underdog. You know, it, it, is, it, is, it is as Rocky Balboa as it could get. It is as Allen Iverson as it could get. And, you know, what's interesting about Philadelphia, you know, in my travels, um, the two cities that I compare Philly fans most to uh, are both Cleveland fans and Chicago fans. Cleveland, just for that uh, hard scrabble, blue collar uh, city that it is, but you know, they're loyal to their players no matter what. Years later, uh, Philly fans are still loyal to Brian uh, to Dawkins. That you know? visor, that visor that Brian Dawkins wear, it, it would haunt yeah. me in my nightmares if I was an NFL quarterback. The Wolverine, you know, Ooh. but I, I think, you know, for Philadelphia, I, I think that championship would mean every, anything. You know, you, you look at you look at the uh, Chicago Cubs who finally won a championship after all those years. You look at the Cleveland Cavaliers who finally won a championship after that drought all those years. I mean, you look at Jordan hitting that shot on Craig Elo. You know, you look at the, the Spurs beating the, the, the Cavaliers in 2007. You know, finally they got one for the city of Cleveland after almost it being taken away from them. They went to a game seven against the Golden State Warriors. I think that effect for Philadelphia means so much. You know, shout out to the Dick Vermeil, shout out to Donovan McNabb, Ron Jaworski, all those guys, Randall Cunningham, all those guys that, you know, wanted it and it never came through. For Philly, that 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 would just mean so much. You know, Iverson not getting the not he and the Sixers not beating um the the the, the LA Lakers back in two thousand and one. You know, all those years of just Philly not doing it, to be able to sit as champions, I mean, what better way to, 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 to cap off a season that was improbable after, you you know, Carson Wentz not only tore his ACL, but after he tore it, threw a pass for a touchdown to play after. You know, that, that that's Philly grit for you. We talk about Brooklyn grit, but Philly grit, they, they find a way to get it done, and, you know, that's, that's the NFC team. That's the team that's represented the NFC team against a a, 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 a a Goliath in the New England Patriots. I still got the Philadelphia uh, Eagles winning it. No doubt, no doubt. So you heard it here. Scoop B picking the Philadelphia Eagles, much to the chagrin of all NFC East fans of every other team. But it makes me happy because I'm a Jets fan, so I don't want the Patriots to win another one. So thank you, Scoop B, for that. And with that, we are coming to a close on Episode 10 of the Sports Opinions Podcast. Scoop, I really want to thank you for coming on. I had a blast. I hope you did. I did, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you. So, Scoop, again, where can people find you? Where can they hit you up? 
make sure you guys subscribe to the Scoopy Radio Podcast. Um, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn App, Stitch App, or simply visit uh, ScoopyRadio.com. We got anybody from uh, Dr. J, Julius Irving, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, the rapper Too Short, uh, Kenny the Jet Smith, Roz Golden Wudek, uh, Pete Sampras. It goes on and on and on. And then also, you can subscribe, or rather, you can follow me on Twitter at Scoopy, Instagram, Scoop underscore B, Snapchat, Scoop underscore B. And make sure to check out my columns at Respect Magazine. That's respect-mag.com. And also, don't forget, go to Wooter.com. Go find Scoopy. You can probably get that from his website at the shop. Go look at that Scoopy apparel. Go buy a shirt. They are all fly. And... As for me, as always, I'm Alex Cuesta, your host. Find me on Twitter at AQuestaNBN. You can go on the Sports Opinions Twitter at SportOpinion30. Thank you again, Scoop. It was a blast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This was the Sports Opinions Podcast. Scoop B Radio. Overtime. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.